Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Ghost Spider Groupies, the podcast dedicated to Gwen Stacy of Earth 65, also known as Spider Gwen and Ghost Spider, where we review her comics, discuss news, and give our opinions about all things Gwen 65. I'm Pex. And I'm Abigail. And we have a special, very special guest this week. If you'd like to introduce yourself, pretty please. Hi, I'm Seanan McGuire, and I'm going to be chatting with all y'all about Gwen Stacy today. We're very excited to have you here today. For those who don't know, Seanan McGuire is a very prolific novelist and also the writer of the Ghost Spider comics. Um, and yeah, super pumped to finally get to speak to you after reading your comics for um, so long now. It's uh, in, in, in the podcast to get to talk to the author is very, very cool. Well, I am glad to be here with y'all. and Thank you for asking me. No, thank you for being here. Of course, yeah. It's um, yeah. Um, so we going to do uh, to start off with some more general questions, sort of particularly to do with like your earlier comic experiences, uh, mm-hmm. sort of getting into comics. How was that for you? So I'm originally from a small town in Northern California, uh, in the California Bay Area, where there is a comic book store. It's called Flying Colors Comics and Other Cool Stuff. It's owned by Joe Field. Uh, if that name is familiar, it's probably because he is the guy who created Free Comic Book Day. Oh, cool. And part of why he opened a comic book store, other than his own passionate love of comics, was the conviction that comics should be for everyone. Uh, because this was in the 1980s. Even more than today, you had a lot of girls don't belong in comics. If you're a girl in a comic book store, you must be there with your boyfriend. You must not actually be there to spend any money. Go away. Uh, and Joe didn't like that. He had daughters. He had a wife. He had eyes. You know, He had the ability to recognize that the love of comics does not come with any gender roles. So he opened a store that was intended to be friendly and accessible to everybody. And I wandered into it basically a week after opening and he went, hello, little girl, do you have any money? And I said, no. And he said, okay, here's the 25 cent uh, comic book box and started introducing me to comics through the 25 cent box. So I read a lot of Teen Titans, a lot of X-Men and a lot of Spider-Man. That's so nice. Mm -hmm. That's like the nicest thing. Oh, he was amazing. Yeah. He still is. He's still there. Oh, lovely. Have you been in contact with him, like, recently? We are pretty steadily uh, pretty steadily in contact. I have moved out of the Bay Area because it turns out I don't like living in a place that is on fire 100% of the time. <laughs> um, and I'm now up in the Seattle area. But Joe and I talk. Uh, I bought a whole bunch of stuff from him a couple months ago. You know, because he will mail things to me and he remains fantastic and great for the kids in that area. I'm so glad his store has managed to last as well as it has. And, and I hope it's there forever. Yeah, that's um, that's, that's just a, a really nice ethos to have for a comic book store because they can be these quite exclusionary places from time to time. Well, quite often. Oh, yeah. So I take it uh, reading Spider-Man comics from there, you read Gwen Stacy for the first time then? Or? I did. So for all that I'm I'm clearly dating myself by talking about being a kid in the 80s, reading out of the quarter box meant that the characters, the versions of the characters I was getting to know and falling in love with were usually already about 10 years out of date because you're hitting the comics that are not yet old enough to be valuable, 
but are also no longer new enough to be valuable. And uh, I I fell in love with Gwen Stacy pretty much immediately. Uh, the original 616 Gwen, she was very smart. She liked to do her homework. She could keep her, she could hold her own intellectually speaking with Peter Parker. Like she was the character I wanted to be in the Marvel universe because I didn't have any superpowers. I knew that I was never going to join the X-Men, uh, but I wanted to be Gwen. And uh, then they chucked her off a bridge. <laughs> so that's essentially your Gwen Stacy origin story. It kind of is. I sat there and cried on the comic book store floor for a while. And then I stopped buying Spider-Man for years because Spider-Man had betrayed me. And I knew even then that we were never getting her back. You know, she's not a superhero. She's not the main character. It was pretty clear that the people who were in charge of Spider-Man had decided Mary Jane was better. So obviously she was the uncool kid who just doesn't get invited back to the party. Um, and it it was enough. It never drove me away from comics, but it was enough that even when they announced Earth 65's Gwen Stacy, that initial Gwen Stacy is back and now she's Spider-Man. Big deal, big deal, big deal. I just didn't engage with it at first. I didn't believe it. I figured the football was going to get yanked away and there was just no way we were going to keep her. So why would I set myself up to have my heart broken all over again? Right. I see. That's yeah. Like you thought that spider Gwen was just going to be a one and done after spider verse and then she'll just drop off. Oh yeah. I mean, that is what happens to most of the alternate versions of characters almost everywhere. You know, I was excited when they said she was going to get her on own ongoing title and I trusted Jason Latour to keep doing good work with her, but I didn't fully trust the people who make the top level decisions to keep making good choices for her. Um, and it, I had been hurt badly enough. I know that sounds terrible, but I had been hurt badly enough by losing Gwen in the first place that I just preferred to kind of keep my distance a little bit for the sake of my own sanity. And then she just kept not going away. Yeah. It was wonderful, but very disconcerting. Yeah, the... I think, because obviously they'd done, like, Gwen clones and stuff. Mm -hmm. but, but this, I think, I think was the first sort of, like, properly earnest attempt at bringing her back. And it probably would have just been that one issue if it hadn't been for... Honestly, if it hadn't been for her character design. That suit is so striking. Oh, 100%. Right. You know, I, it doesn't really matter how well they're written or how beautifully they're they're set up if people don't want to keep looking at them, because comics are, first and foremost, a visual medium. And Gwen Stacy, uh, under Latour and then also under me, because we were both very firm about it, Gwen is not a sexy character. She's attractive. And it's OK if you want to look at her and go, OK, that's a hot girl. But she's not drawn in the sexed up style that tends to get female characters, a big dedicated audience. And so without that incredibly striking suit, I just don't think she would have lasted past Spider-Verse. Yeah, that's um, it's an interesting point, I think, regarding Gwen, because try as some artists might, uh, there is that sort of baseline that Gwen is, isn't a sexy style that the character goes for, but more is more of a cool look, more of a grounded sort of She's a Spider-Man. I mean, she's a Venom, but she's a Spider-Man. Right. And at the end of the day, you don't draw Peter Parker that sexy. So why would you draw Gwen Stacy that sexy? Right. It's right. a nice comparison to draw there. So right before we get into um, like your origin story about getting to uh, write for a ghost spider, 
we wanted to talk about like um how you got into writing comics. When my agent signed me, so I'm primarily a novelist. That's where most people will know me. And uh, when you sign with a literary agent, one of the first big conversations that you have is what do you want out of your career? What are you hoping that being my client will get you? And part of the reason that you have that conversation is so that if you say, I want you to make me the next Stephen King or whatever, your agent can sit you down and explain how the business actually works and that no one can do that for you. If you get to be the next Stephen King or whatever, it's going to be 90% luck. It's non-replicable. But they have this conversation and uh, she asks me, what do you want? What is the thing that you want me to get you out of a successful career? And I said, I want to write the X-Men. And this was not during a time when the X-Men was a particularly popular or desirable property. And so she looked at me blankly for a while and then went, what? And I said, I want to work for Marvel Comics. I want to write the X-Men. You do understand that there is no money in comics, right? I know that. So what do you want? I want to write the X-Men. And we went around on that about 20 times. And finally, she resigned herself to the fact that she had signed someone with severe uh, mental problems and, and just sort of moved on. And I continually you know, kept saying whenever anybody asked me, especially in interviews, any place where I could get the news out that hopefully Marvel would hear it, what do you want? I want to write for Marvel Comics. I want to write the X-Men or really anything else that they'll let me do. I want them to see that I do good work on a timetable and can be depended upon. And then, you know, while this is going on, I am literally begging on Twitter, uh, will you let me write the X-Men? Come on, Marvel. Just over and over. And then one day I got an email through my website, same way that y'all contacted me. It's just an open contact form from one of the junior editors at Marvel going, hey, have you ever considered writing an X-Man story? And uh, I, I lost the ability to breathe or speak for a little while there. When Marvel calls you, if you get the call from them, you are not supposed to talk about it with anyone saying anything to anybody before their PR has approved it can get you taken off their lists because they want to control the flow of news. Uh, and that is an understandable and even admirable goal. But so I, I get this email just to you, have you considered writing for the X-Men? And I called my brother, who may be the only person that I know that loves comics more than I do, and I wasn't speaking. There were no words. I was just making these incohate bat noises. Like dogs in my neighborhood were losing their shit because of the sounds I was making. Because there were no words involved. Just sort of... Like, did you think you were getting punked after reading that email? I did not because I looked up and verified that it was a real person. Uh, but it is that moment of someone is now offering you everything you've ever wanted. What are you going to do about it? And what I'm going to do is apparently stop breathing, almost blackout, call my brother and make bat noises at him. And, and he listened to the bat noises for less than 30 seconds and then went Sean and did Marvel call. And uh, that is that is part of why he is the person that I called to technically violate an NDA I had not yet signed. Uh, so I wound up doing some work with the X office. Uh, this was before the Hickman era when they were still kind of mopping up the end of the last big era of X stories. And uh, the editor I was working with, the junior editor that had called me, was also the junior editor of the Venom office. And I have mentioned, but I like to stress and remind people, 
Ghost Spider is not actually technically a Spider-Man character. You know, she has Spider-Man-esque powers, but she's a Venom. Because her powers at this point are 100% through her suit. If you could separate her from her symbiont, she would have no powers at all. And so she falls under the heading of the Venom office within the Marvel hierarchy. And this junior editor was also the junior editor in the Venom office. So when they got the announcement that Latour was leaving, she put me forward as possibly uh, his replacement. And so they called and that was a fun day uh, for so many reasons, but primarily because, you know, my editor at X-Men, which everyone knew that was where I wanted to be, was there, there is nothing you can offer Sean and that will get her to leave the X-Men. And she goes, hey, would you be willing to consider doing some work for the spider office? And uh, I am very accommodating. It is something that I pride myself on. If it will not actually do me harm or cause me to take psychic damage, I will try to do just about anything I'm asked to uh, because I figure it's better to be easygoing than obnoxious. And I am faintly homicidal a lot of the time. So it's important that people have reasons to keep me around. So I'm like, well, sure, I would be willing to consider working with the spider office on the right project. You know, if there's something that you really think I'd be a good fit for, whatever. And then she emails and goes, would you be willing to get on the phone with me and the rest of the spider office? I'm like, okay, something horrible is going on. But I hop on the phone and she says, basically, you know, hi, this is so-and-so. This is such-and-such. This is Nick. Nick is the big boss of the entire spider office. Um, and Nick's like, hi, Sean, and I've heard so much about you, blah, blah, blah. You seem like a great girl, blah, 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 blah. Would you be willing to come on and write Gwen for us? And Gwen was not even on my bucket list because there was just no way she was dead. I was going to have to write for Marvel for 20 years at a level of success that almost no female comic creators ever managed to achieve. I'm not even sure Gail Simone has the level of success that I was envisioning needing before they would let me bring Gwen back from the dead, which is what I thought I'd have to do. So again, we had one of those moments of just the world has gone blank. There are no words anymore. There is a buzzing noise. Um, pretty sure I can taste space and time. Everything is terrible, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I somehow managed to remain professional enough for the rest of that call to say, yes, I think that that would be something I would be interested in. Thank you so much for thinking of me before I hung up and just started screaming. Um, <laughs> and the screaming lasted for a while. Uh, and this was before they, they had announced that Latour was stepping down. We knew that. But again, with it, when it's Marvel, you are, not you are not the keeper of your own news. You are not allowed to tell people anything. I was going to be a guest at the American Library Association convention later that summer. Jason Latour was also a guest there. And uh, so I went and found him. I snuck into a party I was not actually invited to and <laughs> ate a whole lot of their uh, of their shrimp on skewers because I was already in there. And what the hell, nice. you're going to get kicked out eventually anyway. You may as well eat the hors d'oeuvres. Nice. But tracked down Jason Latour at the Bruschetta station. And I'm just like, you know, Mr. Latour, it's so nice to meet you. I've loved your work. I love the end of your run on Spider-Gwen, which had not been published yet. So he's looking at me kind of quizzically. And I'm like, no, it's fantastic. And I'm making web slinger motions with my hands over and over again. Um, just trying to get him to figure out without ever actually having to say, hey, dude, I'm your replacement. Um, and, and he did figure it out. And so we got some selfies together for both of us to post when I was announced so that his fans would understand that 
you know, we had had a conversation and he was okay with the fact that I was coming in. Okay, that's cool. How was that in terms of like picking up from what was like, it was good 40 issues in that run? He had a really solid run. I enjoyed it a lot. I envy him the amount of creative freedom he very clearly had because you can tell if you look, especially at the early part of his run, that Marvel never thought that this was a character that was going to last beyond her creator. You know, and uh, and Latour and Rodriguez really are the creators of Earth 65 Gwen. She is so distinct from 616 Gwen that while she is absolutely a version of that character, I will give them full credit for having come up with her. But you, you look at those books and you can tell they never told these boys no. No. I'm not sure that, that they ever actually told Marvel what they were doing from book to book. Just like, okay, and in this episode, Gwen Stacy goes to prison. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, and and that, was, that was some fun cleanup because we knew when I was coming in that my run would be picking up after she had been released from prison. So her secret identity is not a secret. She is going to have to deal with a world where everyone knows who she is. And Earth-65 doesn't, we don't really have the options of like Mustifo or, or rewinding time or selling our soul or Dr. Strange or any of that, because that world is at such an earlier point in Marvel development. You're going to have to cope with this. Um, not only that, but, you know, we talked a little bit about how Gwen is not a sexy character. You don't want to sex her up. And, and I really appreciate that. We need some non-sexy female characters for the sake of our younger readers. Absolutely. You know, you, you've got to have characters for the 12-year-olds. You've got to have characters for the 14-year-olds, the people that are not necessarily going to be comfortable with those books being super duper sexed up. And, and anyone who wants to say that that is making comics immature should really look at the fact that they are reading comics. I love comics, but they were for kids first. We just refused to stop reading them when we outgrew who they were technically aimed at. Um, so Gwen is part of the young heroes bracket. She is not a child hero. She went to adult prison. So here we've got an absolute confirmation that Gwen is a minimum of 18 years old. You can't get away from that. Uh, and some of the things that they had put in place that they were allowed to publish that just they're non-negotiable now because they're the canon. You have to live with this. Mm -hmm. We're very inconvenient. Well, as a, as a writer trying to work out what to do with it. As a writer trying to work out what to do, um, as, as a writer trying to deal with, you know, I didn't come in as the creator of this character. I didn't come in with, oh, you get carte blanche because we don't care. I came in with, we are just about to release uh, the big Spider-Verse movie and we feel like there is money in them, their hills. And we want to make sure that you can make this commercial property more commercial, which I can't blame Marvel for. You know, comics is a business. You do need to make money. Uh, but it means that I am dealing with a character who simultaneously has the remit of cannot seem creepy if she dates Miles Morales and has been to adult prison, is a minimum of 18. So it's things like during my run, Gwen was not allowed to drink, even if she might have been of legal drinking age. We didn't know. Uh, so we're trying to figure out exactly how old is she? You know, where does all that fit? And, and that can be very difficult. Yeah, the stuff with Miles was strange. Creepy. Yeah. Yeah, we went into a lot about that. I think between the both of us, Pax was the most vocal about it. The fact that Bendis was allowed to have Gwen and Miles hook up 
I actually find um, very off-putting. You know, that that was not on Rodriguez and Latour. They didn't go into that place, but Bendis very much did. And it's just kind of icky. It wasn't really coming so much from from the Spider-Gwen comics so much as it was. Oh, no. Wow. Okay. That's yeah, that's yeah. Because it, it was it was a yeah very, very, very strange pairing. It was. Yeah, they they sort of had to age Miles up like, like two 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 years or so to, and even then it was because I think Miles was sixteen at the time, and you know a sixteen year old and a nineteen year old together, like no. I mean, it it can. I went to high school with people who where we had sixteen year olds dating nineteen year olds, and they had gotten together when they were fourteen and seventeen, which is less icky. But at that point, you have these long acquaintances. You have a lot more time to work out power balances between you. And it's not just a 19-year-old from another dimension swooping in. And the only thing that you have in common is these spider powers to get the crap kicked out of you on a regular basis. But that never really happened in the Spider-Gwen comics or in Ghost Spider once my run had picked up. That was entirely in the Brian Michael Bendis uh, miniseries. And you'll note that neither the Miles comics nor the Gwen comics ever really acknowledged that had happened. We, we all just kind of went, eh, that is like Nightcrawler having two penises. We don't have to acknowledge it if we don't want to. So we're just not <laughs> going to. Nightcrawler has what now? Uh, Nightcrawler canonically, thanks to Chuck Austin's run on the X-Men, has two dicks. And this is because his father, he got, he inherited it from his demonic father. Uh, But that is more information than I think anyone ever wanted to know. And is one of my primary defenses when people say, well, you can't ignore it if it's canon. Watch me. (laughs) Right. So, so that was a sort of, that was a very conscious decision to not build on the sitting in a tree crossover. Oh, absolutely. I mean, among other things, at the end of Spider-Geddon, which was my intro, uh, Gwen was supposed to stay in 65 for a while. We had kind of an editorial remit of like, let's just keep Gwen on her own planet for a little bit. Uh, And that remit changed various times during my run. They would have, okay, she's a hot property. We want her involved more on 616. Okay, we have so many spider heroes kicking around 616. Can we just keep her on 65? Can we keep her in the box? Um, I was just grateful every time they didn't tell me I had to kill her. Right. But um, when you first got Gwen's title, when you got the call, uh, were you informed that they were going to change her name into Ghost Spider? That was still under discussion when I came on, uh, whether or not that was going to be necessary. I know that there are people who don't like the title, uh, don't like the name rather. I am 100% in favor of the name because let's be honest, you can't be Spider Gwen unless everyone knows your secret identity. Right. Also, there are members of Gwen Stacy's family still alive on 616. And how cruel to them is that? Oh, yeah. Never considered that. Like, you're just a freaking monster. Oh, yeah. She's got cousins, right? Yeah, she's got cousins. You're just you're just being an asshole at that point. Hey, remember how your version of Gwen Stacy died horribly? Well, here's one that didn't. She wants nothing to do with you. Ha ha. Have a nice day. Like, no. Uh, but so Spider-Gwen, while it's a great pun and it's evoc- an evocative way to describe the character, especially when you're putting her into the context of the 616 Gwen Stacy, who at this point is not the dominant Gwen Stacy in most people's minds when they think about that name. 
Um, you know, it's a great starter name, as it were. It's not a good long-term superhero identity. And she was never Spider-Gwen on 65. She was Spider-Woman. She refers to herself as Spider-Gwen once at the end of Latour's run. And that's pretty clearly just to kind of say to the fans, ha ha, we know that you liked this name. Uh, but she can't be Spider-Woman on 616 because you shout Spider-Woman down in the middle of a fight and half of your female heroes hit the ground. That's just not good tactics. Yeah, it's. Um, I like the name personally. I think it, I think it works. I, I really like how you, you worked it into the first couple of arcs really as a sort of thematic thing. You sort of built up to it and sort of hinted at it and then yeah. made the switch. And that really made it work, I think. When people say to me, um, oh, I really don't like the Ghost Spider name. I say, if you actually read the comics where they change it, it's it's been done in a way which feels very thematically earned. Yeah, it makes sense that Gwen would not want to just be a spy, especially given Gwen's issues with people comparing her to 616 Gwen Stacy all the damn time. Hmm. You know, she wants to be thought of as her own person. She wants to be seen as something more than just a part of this great Peter Parker-centric web. And, uh, you know, part of that is going to be having a name she doesn't have to share with half a dozen other spiders. Yeah. And uh, I was just wondering if, um, because she was named Ghost Spider first in Marvel Rising, if that contributed to uh, her name change in the comics. So they did definitely want to standardize, but remember that not every property runs at the same rate. We're thinking of changing her name was part of the conversation from the time I came on. What it was going to be and whether it was going to land on Ghost Spider or something else, a lot of that honestly depended on whether or not Disney could get the trademarks, you know, Disney could get the copyrights. And Disney is a great IP eating monster fully agree on that. I love them, but nobody's going to say that a big corporation is perfect. At the same time, half of my fights with my editor really did center around, oh, the cover that you're proposing for this issue is so sexy. Would you ever draw Peter Parker like that? Would you ever have Peter Parker emphasizing his ass as he's flipping through New York? If the answer is no, then this is inappropriate. Um, so we were having these arguments and the sheer amount of ghost spider pornography we would have seen immediately if they hadn't been able to copyright the name, I shudder to think. It's not fully comics relevant, but it is a thing. I am a My Little Pony collector. I have been since the original generation in the 1980s. I have roughly 2,000 My Little Ponies. They have their own room in my house. Oh. And when the most recent generation started up, when Generation 4, which is no longer the most recent generation because Generation 5 just launched, but when Generation 4 started up, it attracted a very large adult male fandom. And, and that's okay. Anyone can be a fan of anything. But the amount of pornography that was generated for My Little Pony made it an unsafe space for children. Uh, you could not let your kid go online and look at My Little Pony websites. It just was not a thing that that was a good idea or was safe for parents to consider. And so not wanting that to happen with Gwen has been a huge amount of my time with her. Uh, and it will continue to be because the number of little girls dressed as Gwen Stacy who finally felt like they had a place to belong in the spider universe was just massive. 
Uh, I have gotten my picture taken with so many small children dressed as Gwen, and it's wonderful. And I love and treasure our adult fans, but I feel like sometimes we really push out our child fans. And those are the people that are going to keep the business alive in 30 years. Right. It's quite the dilemma then from the background there. So like if you hadn't had the trademark, then that sort of that becomes more of a more of a problem more of a problem. So there was an element of they had to find a name that they could secure, that they could trademark before the name change could be locked in. And that's not really a factor in universe. That's where we get to the Watsonian Doyleist divide. Uh, in universe, she's going to call herself whatever the hell she wants. In universe, she can call herself Captain Marvel if she wants to. It doesn't matter. I'm Batman, whatever. But out universe, she has to contend with the copyright restrictions and legalities of our world which is why we have She-Hulk to do all the lawyering for us. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, we did get a uh, question from uh, Twitter regarding the name change. Okay. It's from at Blue Archer 1600. Uh, they ask, if you could change Ghost Spider's name to a different hero name, would you? No. So I worked really, really hard to thematically earn the name Ghost Spider. It was given to me. Your character is going to be changing her name to Ghost Spider. But once I had it, I worked to set it up. And I really do feel that the Death Loves Gwen Stacy riff that I did through the first arc of her comic, um, I, I feel like that reflects what had been done with the character and what her place in the greater Marvel universe has always been. And that dilemma of how do I set myself up as someone new when everyone looks at me and they see a ghost. So for me at this point, Ghost Spider is the perfect name for the Earth-65 Gwen Stacy. She has every reason in the world to think of herself that way. And the fact that she lost her Peter Parker in such a traumatic manner means that she's going to feel haunted. Mm -hmm. Nice. I love that. That's great. Um, you've touched on this a little bit, but there is a sort of push and pull between Gwen's status quo uh, on Earth-65 and Earth-616. Was that sort of your decision going in? Were you were you like wanting to have Gwen on Earth 616 more? Or was that more of an editorial mandate? And the sort of the back and forth that sort of happens over the course of the run, is, is, that, is that more of an editorial thing as well? That's almost always editorial. I really wanted to settle in on one world and party down there. Uh, and it's not until we hit that last arc, Party People, with the... Uh, Sue and Johnny of her world that we fully got to commit to a 65 centric storyline. You know, I like that as of the end of Spider-Geddon, we have that brief period of time when the web of life and destiny has been destroyed. And Gwen is the only spider who can canonically move back and forth. But I also really did set up the thing, you know, the, the end of my Spider-Geddon run where she's going around and telling everyone whose spider fell during the event, I'm so sorry they're not coming home. That had a big effect on her. She really does not want to die and have her father not get told. And maybe that's selfish of her, but sometimes selfishness is the right decision. Yeah, no, I thought that was a, it was a really good sort of way of grappling with, with how all that sort of works. And having that status quo in, in place, that sort of that stayed that way won't the whole time during your run where, where the web of life and destiny was down, right? Yeah, I think the web is back up at this point, but it was down for a good long while. Um, and part of that was that they actually did, for at least a few minutes there, want to limit the number of spiders that you could have traipsing around. They, they knocked it down to just Gwen on purpose. 
um, because they wanted to try and and focus the spider action kind of on the worlds people were from. It's always interesting watching Marvel every few years realize, oh crap, we have a multiverse. Oh crap, that's a lot of work. How much of it can we shut off? Yeah, because because there's a lot of like considerations when you can sort of just phone in people as to how mm-hmm. fights would go down and and, and stuff. I'm I'm sure. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, we have arguments with my D and D games. Like we could shut this fight down in a second if we could just get the paladin from the Saturday game in. Well, y- yes, you could, but how challenging would it be, really? You know, how do you balance a fight when you can have every iteration of a character across all of space and time? Right. Right. So uh, you also uh, you got to work with uh, quite a few different artists over the course of your run. I did. Yeah. How, how was that? It was really, really lovely. Um, you know, I enjoyed all of my artists. Uh, I think in terms of back and forth and us getting to talk to each other, Rosie was probably my favorite. She was my first. And you, you never forget your first. Um, but I was her first at the same time, you know, she's a relatively new artist to Marvel. And that means that while she may not be their most refined artist at this point in time, I think she'll get there. And she was very willing to listen and discuss with me how things were going to go. It was a lot more back and forth. Uh, Takeshi was wonderful, very busy. So we didn't always have a lot of time to talk, but I usually only had to explain what I wanted to him once. And, and that, I think, was the majority of our of my first run was, was working with those two. You know, we had a couple of other artists come in. Ig was wonderful. Uh, really enjoyed Ig. But but they were my they were the majority of my time. And, you know, I'm a giant nerd. I, I don't really do much to hide that because I don't think that it would work too well. Uh, and I spend a lot of time paying artists to draw my crap. Like there's practically an entire cottage industry of just draw Shannon's D&D character and she'll give you money. So having someone else pay artists to illustrate things I wrote was kind of magical. Doesn't matter if I owned them or not. What mattered was I could say this happens and then somebody who was better at things than me would make it happen. That's really cool. Recently, you wrote Flaviano for Gwenum vs. Carnage uh-huh. along with Rico Renzi. Yep. Uh, Fliviano was lovely. I loved his work. We really did not talk at all uh, because he is, again, much more established. And the more established you are, both the less time you'll have and the less you need to listen to your writer because people are here to see the pretty pictures. Um, you know, He did a fantastic job with what I gave him. I, I don't know that we ever had a conversation. And Rico was lovely. You know, I, I really missed Clayton. Uh, I, I enjoyed the fact that we kept the same colorist for my entire run up until the Gwenham versus Carnage. Ian Herring? Oh, yeah. Ian Herring, right? Ian Herring, yes. Yeah, I think there's um there's actually only been the two colorists on Gwen's ongoings, like, yeah. ever, which is, uh, I think, really neat. It is. Um, it meant that we had such a good, consistent color palette real um i i like i like how earth 65 sort of has a unique flavor and i think it's almost entirely off the back of the colors that have been chosen for it agreed in, in, a, in a sort of visual sense there but uh yeah i think that's that's really cool um and sort of along those lines working with different creative teams and stuff you had like maybe what like three different events that you had to write tie and stuff for oh god yes which is i take it that changes things a lot because you because you came in like right off the bat with spider geddon 
I, yeah, I came in straight into Spider-Geddon and uh, that was fun. You know, I enjoyed it. I was a little disappointed because the way that it had sounded when they were talking about Spider-Geddon and those initial pitches was that it was just going to be a bloodbath. You know, we were going to have dead spiders everywhere. And I was, I was excited about that because I fought for the fourth issue of my, of my Spider-Geddon tie-in. Nice. Um, initially they said, okay, you're getting X number of issues and the first three are going to be this tie-in. And I said, okay, that's cool, but who's handling the funerals? And there was a lot of confusion, but as a comics reader, what I like most, what makes me the happiest is that feeling of weight, of continuity, of seeing how everything actually fits together and has an impact. And I didn't want Spider-Geddon to be, we watched a whole bunch of our friends die. They're dead now. Okay, let's go have coffee. Like, I just didn't think that that served the characters or the world they lived in very well. So I pitched uh, issue number four, which is the funeral issue. And my editor was able to get it greenlit. Normally, there is a rule that every issue has to feature superhero action. You know, to keep it interesting and keep things moving, you have to have some kind of superheroics in every issue. They let me out of that rule for issue four because it was the funerals. And it really helped us with setting up the whole Death Loves Gwen Stacy thing that was going to be a big part of our ongoing arc from there. Um, and I had so much fun with my Spider-Geddon stuff because it was kind of playing with exiles. You know, the X-Men concept where you just, none of this matters. We're on a world we're never going to see again. Let's have a party. And, and we, we had a party. We had a good time. Uh, then we had Outlawed for a little while because, again, Gwen inhabits this weird liminal space where she's not a teen hero, but she's also not exempt from where the teen heroes are. Right. And uh, I enjoyed that, but Outlawed got all jacked up by COVID. And the thing about any of the events is that you are going to be constantly bound to what people are doing and where things are going. Yeah. Um, was there sort of more tie-in stuff planned for Outlawed? It sort of felt like... We were going to go a little further with it, but unfortunately the event got so deeply derailed by the pandemic that it really didn't work out. Yeah, I think it's a shame because it, it felt like it resonated quite well with what was sort of already going on mm -hmm. with Gwen's comics at the same time. Well, and I like any time that you have a chance to have Gwen confront the fact that Peter Parker is not perfect. Yeah, no, the argument with Pete in... Eighth issue. Eighth yeah. issue. So good. The angst was... I honestly thought they were going to duke it out right there, right now. Yeah. I I really wanted to go more into that, but because of the way the real world impacted things, there just wasn't space. And, and you know, the real world impacted a lot. Our sales were never the very best, but they were never the very worst. I do think we would have gotten at least another five issues, if not more, if COVID had not disrupted everything so very badly. It took a long time for our last couple of issues to even get printed. There was a period where we thought they would stay virtual only. And that it is a business. They do have to make money, unfortunately. But then uh, later on, you got the call to write the King in Black tie-ins. I did because they do like me. They didn't cancel me because they don't like me. You know, I'm friendly. I do good work. I love the characters and I turn my shit in on time and that matters. But 
we just couldn't sustain a monthly with the numbers that we were getting combined with the pandemic. Party People is up for a Hugo Award this year, and it's the first time that we have actually gotten a Marvel Cape comic nominated for a Hugo. And I'm very hopeful that if I can win or even just place really, really well, we may be able to use that as part of the argument for getting a new ongoing series. I know nothing that is not that is not secret knowledge. That is just I have hope because I never give up. Do you mean dog days are over? Yeah, I do. Sorry. I think that'd be, be really cool. And I think it would be a nice, I think just having the nomination there is a good sort of vouch in the comics favor. It is. And uh, yeah, no, we're really sort of glad that it's on the list at least. Yes. And we hope that it wins. Me too. Right. Nice. Yeah. Like we keep advocating if there's anyone listening that's on the Hugo voting committee to vote for this. It, it's not a committee thing. It's if you are a member of the World Science Fiction Society. So do you have a membership in Worldcon? Then you can vote. Oh. But uh, yeah, no, I, I think people who have voting rights know that they have voting rights. And I very much hope that they will vote for us. Yeah, no, I'm interested to see how all that pans out. But yeah, no, I'm. we'd love to see a continuation of the Ghost Spider comics. And particularly what your run was, was doing was, uh, yeah, we'd, we'd love to see more of that. That would have been. So would I. We were having an interesting time. Yeah, we, we actually, I actually sat down after sort of Gwen versus Carnage ended and I, I looked at every, every sort of little, little plot thread that I thought is, is something that maybe would have been clarified down the line, but of course didn't because of the end of the run. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I realized that, that you might not be able to answer any, if some of, if not all of these, but I was wondering if we could maybe run a few by you to see, see what, like what the original intention for party people was, for example. I mean, the original intention with party people is pretty much what happened. She was always going to get her ass handed to her by the storms because they are a nightmare. A villainous Sue storm is the worst thing that anyone is ever going to go up against. But I was intending to eventually have Johnny figure out that maybe super villainy is not the best plan and and kind of sidelong betray his sister a little bit. And there are some options for putting together a decent superhero team on Earth-65. So I wanted to run to our first big team up of non-imported heroes. Cool, cool. What about the Maker? What was going on on that? So what was going on with the Maker was that there was a crossover event coming up that involved the Maker quite a lot. So I was asked to involve him. And part of him is currently on Earth-65. To the best of my knowledge, it's still there because, you know, he got he got a little scattered. Uh, I did want to play with him more. I didn't have space in the issues that I had. We kind of had to crash a wrap up. Right, I see. There was mentions of like a like a multiversal concert tour for the Mary Janes. Yes. Um, So that was mostly in the solicits. I did. I got very irritated because the solicits are not written when the comics are done. The solicits are written when the comics are planned. And that was not run by me. The multiversal concert tour was them going to see Panic at the Disco in about 17 different worlds. Oh, okay, so they sort of misinterpreted because we thought that they were playing gigs across the multiverse. Yeah, no, that was that was entirely uh, my editor trying to make us sound cool, and we are cool. But really, I just thought going to see your favorite band in seventeen different realities would be cool. I did want to do a concert tour on Earth sixty five. Uh, there was some stuff I wanted to do with other regions of the world. Uh, parts of which I genuinely hope I'll someday have the opportunity to do because I am not. 
I don't give up hope until hope is dead. Like they'll have to kill her before I stop saying I want to come back. Yeah, that's. Um, and even then, I'll just say resurrections are always possible. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't. I don't think there's any any getting rid of Ghost Spider at this point like that. No, she's way too popular to stay down. She is, and you know they do recognize for all that there is a certain business level. We want to focus the superhero brands on little boys. They do recognize that Ghost Spider is one of the most popular characters with their younger female audience. Nice, yeah. And little girls buy toys. Absolutely. And yeah, it seems like, at least when Into the Spider-Verse number two comes out, that they've got to have this character in a comic somewhere, surely. Oh, absolutely. Because um, it's, it's been a bit of a dry sort of six months since Gwen versus Carnage ended. Actually, it's been seven right now. <laughs> yeah. Seven months. It's been a little bit of a break. And, you know, normally I would be very upset about that. Right now, I'm kind of cool with it. Because, again, I keep hoping the Hugos will go my way and I'll be able to get her back. Nice. Writing for any kind of licensed book, you know that you're not playing with your own toys. You know you're in someone else's sandbox. But you do feel a certain proprietary protectiveness toward them. You know, you love them. You want them to be safe. You want them to have uh, adventures. And most importantly, you want to be in charge of those adventures. Anytime someone else writes a character, they change the con- they change the canon, they change the things you'll have to deal with. The mess I left is not the mess that Jason Latour left. Yeah, no, it's actually uh, about that. It's sort of the end of Gwen versus Carnage is a bit of a cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. Was it supposed to be that way or was there supposed to be a continuation in, in some other line? It was supposed to be that way. Uh, what you have seen so far is what has been written. Right, I see. Was there talks for Gwen to appear in the main title or just be restricted to her own tie-in? If there were, I was not involved with them. I see. I see. That makes sense. Um, I And um, like stuff with like Gwenham and M. Jarnage, uh, even, even before King and Black sort of came along, was there always a sort of, were you always warming up to that? I had been building toward that for a while. You know, that is that is how MJ had the spiders on her already to be pulled through the hole in the world because they had been shedding. And if you go back over the ghost spider run, you can see the spiders falling off of her in various places, just sort of scuttling around in the background that her suit was shedding spiders. You know, we have an ongoing thread of the suit is hungry and it messes with her powers. So she's just eating everything in sight to try and keep her suit fueled up. Well, if you feed a slime mold enough, it will eventually fish her. So her suit had been preparing to reproduce. And part of that was sticking onto MJ. Um, If not for both our cancellation and Gwenham versus Carnage, we were going to eventually deal with that on 65 and have to find a way probably to lose... um, M. Jarnage, however you want to pronounce that, but probably have to find a way to lose it because otherwise the radiation from the spiders would inevitably kill her. Yeah. So for that particular iteration of the character, I think she was well served by the cancellation because it means she gets to hang out in a place where she's presumably going to find a solution. She's got way more super science options in 616. Uh, But this is definitely going to mess with the Mary Jane's rehearsal schedule. Yeah. Yeah. There was... um... There's even a line uh, from MJ about the rest of the band also being kidnapped. Um, yep, they are not having a great time. Is that something we would expect from future Ghost Spider stuff that 
like the situation in Earth sixty five is deteriorated in Gwen's absence. I mean, if if I get if I were able to come back, one of the things I would be addressing is the storms. You know, they are much more interested in being Instagram influencers than actual superheroes. And you can't take the only really working superhero out of a city and expect the status quo to hold. Not when you've got at least a couple of supervillains kicking around at this point. Um, so we would have to deal with the storms and that would involve finding out what's going on with the band, getting everybody back, all of that fun stuff. Nice. That's cool. And just sort of something to that uh, uh, along those lines as well, like bring in Jackal 616 onto Earth 65. I think I think that was really, really cool. Is Was that something that was, that was just going to be a temporary thing or is that to be sort of Jackal 616 is now part of Gwen's rogues gallery? I mean, I think he's going to be one of Gwen's rogues gallery no matter what world he's on because he is an obsessed weirdo and I don't like him. Um, but uh, whether he was going to stay there forever or not was really going to be determined by whether anyone more important than me wanted him back. Right. Yeah. I, I think so far he is still... Yeah, he is still there because nobody likes him. He's a bad dude. He's he's just kind of icky. So much. Every universe... Miles Warren is always going to be the creepy dude. Right, exactly. Yep, but honestly, if if I were the people in charge of all Spider-Man and I had the opportunity to just leave Miles Warren off on 65, I would because if nothing else, you don't want Miles the hero and Miles the creepster who deserves to have restraining orders keeping him off of all high school campuses running around the same world. That gets confusing for the people that are coming over from Spider-Verse or who don't necessarily follow things that tightly right yeah that makes sense right but i do like the uh, sentiment that jackal he has practically evolved from being peter parker's villain to gwen stacy 65's villain mm -hmm. because jackal's not really interested in pete anymore nope jackal's got somebody new to creep on yeah, uh, and uh, there, there was a couple of other supporting cast members that had sort of popped up during the Dog Days Are Over arc in, like, Gwen's classmates and stuff. Uh, like, was Kosei supposed to be, like, a new love interest for Gwen there? Oh, no, no, no. He was working with Thylacine. Um, we were we were going to a Nasty Mutates place there. So, like, both both him and Benji uh -huh. were going to be, like... Working for Warren, yeah. Oh, my days... Yeah, it was a good time. Yeah, that's um was that sort of going to happen while like Jackal was over on Earth 65 then while they were they they were they'd be left behind on Earth 616 that sort of like should be juggling villains on two different Yes, that was my original intention. Um I also wanted to play with the swarm more, you know. Bee punching is the best time. Yeah, the bee punching stuff with Pete was really it was wholesome. I actually own the page where Dino Swarm shows up for the first time, uh, because how would you not? Yeah, it's uh, it it looks really good. Dinosaurs are cool. Dinosaurs are cool. Nazi scientists are uncool. Scientists made of bee made of bees are cool. So that was my attempt to make the swarm cool. Yeah, the, yeah, the, it was it was really really fun take on the on the swarm there. That was uh, yeah, really really good. Really enjoyed that. And then we were just wondering, um. Is Harry Osborne okay? You know, I cannot actually answer that. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah, I think I think that wraps that wraps up our questions about the the unfinished plot stuff there. Then. Yeah, I guess it does. Yay. 
But I wanted to um, just jump in a little back to uh, M. Jarn. It's something a little bit funny. When it was mentioned in the uh, letter from the editor that you've wanted to uh, do that since the beginning, I actually went back to do the reread to see if... Because, you know, the whole trope of superheroes and villains in their civvies, they wear the colors that evoke their costumes. I was trying to see if MJ was wearing a red and black combination as a foreshadow. That was not an instruction that we gave to our colorist, no. Oh, so it, it was just fun to think about. <laughs> if she was, yeah, if she was, that's a magical coincidence. But um no, that was a thing I had wanted to do, and it was one of the storylines that had been pitched well before uh, COVID and before any question of cancellation or anything like that. And then I was very, very grateful that Devin was able to resurrect it as part of that uh, King in Black event and, and to get me to come on to that event staff. It was just a wonderful time. Yeah, that's um super cool character that. Really glad you had the, the chance to do that. Oh, me too. You know, yeah. everything, everything about this was wonderful. There are parts where I was grumpy as hell. Um, I cried for like three days when they canceled us. Uh, I have, I have no chill about admitting that, you know, I wanted to keep going forever. I wanted to be able to do one of those character defining runs. And, and I still do, you know, if things turn in our favor, if we're lucky enough to win the Hugo and uh, they, they call me, I will be here to take the call. Um, and it's not because comics are super lucrative. You know, I did the Age of X-Men event over in the X office shortly before the Hickman reboot. And uh, when talking about that and promoting that, one of the creators, uh, I believe it was Zach, went on Twitter and said, you know, Shannon doesn't need to be here. If she's here, it's because she really wants to be. And, and that is true. Comics do not pay my bills. But... I love them and I will always, always make time for them. And you only get better at these things by being allowed to do it. You can see a visible improvement in my work over just the course of the first run as I figure out the tempo and how we break things down uh, arc by arc. So I think at this point, it's not egotistical to say that I could do some damn fine stuff if they would just bring me back to go again. Absolutely. You deserve to have the freedom that the previous creative team was afforded, I think, for sure. Yep, I wanted to play with the with the Earth sixty five X Men. Um, I've just got a lot of stuff that I still want to do in that space, and uh, I'd like to get in before somebody else has a chance to come in and move all my toys. Right. Yeah, you deserve to finish your vision the way that you wanted it to be, and I'm hoping that you know that we get to see more of you from Ghost Spider. Thank you. Fingers crossed for the Hugos. Um, and uh, I'm always willing to come back. So, yeah. Come on, Marvel. Don't make me start yelling at you on Twitter again, because you know I will. <laughs> nice. Um, anything to, to get that character defining run. Yep. Yep. So, um, as we wind down, we kind of had some rapid fire questions where you could just answer them in like one word or like one or two sentences. Okay. Go ahead. All right, so corn dogs or hot dogs? Corn dogs. Chuck Taylors or ballet flats? Uh, definitely the 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 shoes, not the ballet flats. I do not like the ballet flats. Right answer. Thank you, thank you. Yes. All right. Um, Kung fu freestyle fighting or dance fighting? 
you know, given that as far as I'm concerned, Gwen does not have training in either of those things, gonna go with Kung Fu Freestyle. Which one of Gwen's powers would you like to have? I would like to never do laundry again. Nice. So just her whole symbiote in general? I would be happy to have the symbiote without any of the superpowers, without any of the web swinging or wall sticking or any of that, if I could just tell my clothes to change themselves and not have to wash things. I love it. Nice. Saves money that way. <laughs> it does. And time. And also, like, there, there is a shirt that I lost about 10 years ago that was my favorite shirt. And I could just have that shirt and it would always be clean. Yeah. That's the dream. Who's Gwen's arch nemesis in your opinion? Uh, right this second, as of where the status quo stands, Sue Storm. Overall, through the majority of my arc, I would weirdly say Gwen Stacy is Gwen Stacy's arch nemesis. That's fair. Um, Peter Parker, Miles Morales, or Jessica Drew? In what context? The person that she should team up with the most. For team ups, I'm going to go with Jessica Drew because there are the fewest hang ups there. For just person that it's most fun to write her interacting with, that's Peter Parker. Watching poor Peter try to cope with the fact that a chick 10 years too young is wearing the face of his dead ex-girlfriend, who we know from the original House of M was the real love of his life. It's just hilarious. Like, let's make Peter Parker squirm. <laughs> um, nice. All right. Uh, favorite adaptation of Ghost Spider in animation? Uh, Marvel Rising. And uh, will Gwen catch a break ever in trying to make new friends? If I have anything to say with it, no. <laughs> nice one. Okay. So it's like the multiverse is out to get her in not making friends. The multiverse is not out to get her in not making friends. Gwen is not great at time management and friendship actually does require effort. That makes sense. That wraps up our rapid fire questions. Um, yeah. I think uh, we're just winding down into the uh, the looking forward. Uh, yeah, uh, I think we've covered most of these here. I think probably one thing was that, um, let's just say hypothetically, if Marvel Studios and Disney Plus made a Ghost Spider animated TV show that adapted your run, would you want to be involved in it? Like as an EP or showrunner or creative consultant? I would be more than happy to be a creative consultant. I wouldn't want to be the showrunner because uh, John Rogers, who was one of the creators of Leverage, is a friend of mine, and he has a skill set that I don't have. Showrunning is not just like setting up a comic book event. Um, I would actually want Margaret Dunlap, who was one of the writers on Marvel Rising, to come in and be our showrunner. More than happy to be a creative consultant. Would really like Dove Cameron to reprise her role as, uh, as Ghost Spider. Nice. I actually went so far to the point of already picking out a cast list if that was ever a thing. Awesome. And Dove Cameron is my spider Gwen. Yeah, she is fantastic. I adore her. Great stuff. Does that wrap up our interview here? I think we're we're running on Oh, I think uh one last question. Uh <laughs> like I'm not sure if there's if you're involved in it, but like is there gonna be an omnibus collecting all your stuff so far? Uh, not that I have yet heard of. Um, I would be down for that. You know, whatever makes them happy, whatever gets the book in front of new eyes. Nice. Cool. cool. All righty. It's been a blast. It's been really good. But but we've uh, we've exhausted all of the time that we have here, I think. So all right. um, 
Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's been lovely. It's been an absolute blast, and to to have this sort of your your voice and personality that we can put to to these comics that we've been reading is is really really great. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's been really good. But yeah, thank you so much for agreeing to be with us today. Yep, you know, thank you for asking me. I I agree to most things, but a surprising number of people just don't ask because of the assumption that I would say no. So I really appreciate y'all, and I appreciate the fact that you are helping to keep the love of this incredibly precious and special to many people character alive. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So y'all have a great day. I'm going to go to the post office now. Okay. All the best. Bye. Bye. Hey everybody, this is post-production Abigail and Pax talking about what's going to be going on for next week and also the weeks following that. Yes, so as listeners will know, we've read through all of the Spider-Gwen Ghost Spider ongoings and tie-in stuff, like the main the main bit, the main reading list. And so uh, now, in the meantime, until if they ever do announce a new Ghost Spider book or or we figure out something else to read or watch. Uh, we're going to be going through Gwen's like side stories. So like these are the events, these are the team up books, these are the crossover appearances that we've not looked at so far, but do feature Gwen with significant speaking roles. The first one we're going to be doing is Spider Verse. Naturally, that's right. We're starting at the beginning one last time for real this time. Right. So we're going to be looking at uh, Amazing Spider-Man issues number 9 to 11. That's the 2014 series, yeah? Mm -hmm. Spider-Woman number 1, which is, again, the 2014 series. And Spider-Verse team-up number 2, which is uh, the B story in that by Jerry Conway. But yeah, uh, we're going to be we're going, we're going to be doing it as two parts because there's a good eleven issues worth of speaking roles for Gwen here. So uh, we're going to do two Spider Verse episodes. So this is going to be the first half of that. We'll cover uh, all of the context for the event that's outside of those issues. Um, but yeah, we're pumped um, to sort of begin anew, um, having now done the original Spider Gwen Ghost Spider comics and spoken to Sean and McGuire. And yeah, we're we're sort of it's a new era of Ghost Spider groupies ahead of us. This is only until we get a new book for Gwen, we're hoping, but this is what we're going to be doing from now on until the day has come. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, we'll we'll, uh, we'll have fun with that. And uh, yeah, so please, as listeners, read along with us. Uh, do read those issues of Spider-Verse so that you can sort of join in with our book club for next week and let us know what you think. At GS Groupies and at uh, GhostSpiderGroupies at gmail.com. That email. Um, yeah, pretty please. And we also have a, a coffee page if you wanted to help us with the Podbean description, chuck in a few bucks. Yes, that sounds, that'd be nice. That'd be good. All right. But um, anyway, Groupies, uh, see you next time. See everybody. <laughs>